0: Welcome to Policy Pod, the ORF Podcast. This episode is part of the Raisina Dialogue 2021, India's annual premier conference on geopolitics and geoeconomics. The conference is hosted by ORF in partnership with the Ministry of External Affairs, Government of India.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Raisina Dialogue and the Future of Conflict Session, How Will Democracies Respond? Much has changed since we last met in Delhi about a year and a half ago. We've, of course, had a global pandemic and a new U.S. president, amongst other things. But what appears to persist is the challenges involving China. We've seen China tensions from the Himalayas to the Taiwan Strait. And when we met then, we discussed the return of great power rivalry being the central challenge of our time and the oceans of the Indo-Pacific, the central front of this evolving struggle. Arguably, Chinese aggression is galvanizing the Quad, made up of the US, Australia, Japan and India, to draw together. So the question then is, why are they doing it now? And why are they doing it? That is the subject of this panel, and with us to uh, discuss this further are military and defence leaders from across the region and world. Joining me now is General Angus Campbell, Chief of Australia's Defence Force, General Koji Yamazaki, Chief of Staff, Joint Staff of the Japan Self-Defense Forces, General Bipin Rawat, India's Chief of Defence Staff, Tim Cahill, Vice President, Lockheed Martin. I'd like to begin with you, General Yamazaki. China is dramatically expanding its military activity around Taiwan. The U.S. is concerned China is flirting with seizing control of Taiwan. Can the U.S. and Japan develop a joint plan for how to respond to scenarios around Taiwan?
2: first, environment, Taiwan,
0: uh, first of all, uh, I'd like to uh, briefly uh, present about the uh, security environment surrounding Japan. Then uh, we would like to uh, get
2: into the, uh, the actual situation. え、the uh, well, uh, uh, the security environment
0: surrounding Japan has become increasingly severe and uncertain at the remarkably rapid pace in recent years. The situation in the area surrounding Japan has been increasingly characterized by the attempts to unilaterally change the status quo by force based on the assertion with the rapid modernization of the military forces and also invigorated military activities. Uh, which aiming to create
2: a favorable strategic environment and expand influence. In recent years, there have
0: been many cases of behavior in East China Sea. And inconsistent with the principles of the free freedom of navigation and overflight. Japan has great concern that these incidents are extremely dangerous, as they could unilaterally change the status quo and escalate the situation, or even cause the
2: contingencies
0: as well as in the South China Sea. There have been a number of dangerous actions that could lead to unilateral change in the status quo by the advancement of the uh, establishment of the federal uh, Campari, as well as the uh, cohesive uh, and also unexpected situations.
2: The
0: situation regarding maritime affairs, uh, China uh, recently enacted the new uh, Coast Guard Law in February this year. The law contains the provision that have programs from the viewpoint of consistency with international law, such as ambiguous, applicable sea uh, area, as well as the uh, authority on the use of weapons.
2: The Chinese Coast Guard law must, be, must
0: not deteriorate the uh, legitimate interests of Japan and other countries concerned, and it is absolutely unacceptable that it will heighten tensions in the East and South China Sea
2: and other sea areas. These actions are a challenge to erode.
0: and. Uh, destabilize the existing international order. Maintaining the rule based international order is an urgent issue in in the Pacific
2: region.
0: South and East China Sea, as well as the uh, areas surrounding uh, Senkaku Islands and uh, including also the uh, uh, areas surrounding Taiwan. the China's uh, unilateral attempts to change the status quo uh, now becoming the uh, unstabilizing factor in the region.
2: And uh, peace and stability
0: of, uh in the area surrounding the Taiwan uh directly reflect to the uh, peace and stability uh, not only uh, Japan but also entire in the Pacific region.
2: So uh, therefore,
0: uh, in order to preserve the peace and stability of this region, uh, it is critically important to deter any kind of contingencies to occur uh, in that area. Uh, therefore, it is necessary for us to closely working with the United States as well as uh, the like-minded country such as India and Australia.
1: Uh, so, General, can I just pick up on that point? When you say that it's important that we work together, in your view then, should our militaries be actively planning for scenarios in, in terms of Taiwan? For example, if X happens, we do this. If Y happens, then we do this.
2: do え、ございます。あの、その細部については、あの、え、コメントすることはできませんけども、やはり地域の平和探偵 uh, for the matters uh actually there
0: are various uh, uh items and an in initiative that we will be able to uh, carry out for the peace and stability of the region but as Uh, From my uh, standpoint, I just uh, would like to uh, 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 not to uh, comment in detail, Uh, however, uh, there are uh, so many uh, various countries that can undertake uh, all kinds of uh, attempts uh, for that reason uh, in various ways.
1: So can I just pick up on that then and, and say, General, do you view Taiwan then as a red line?
2: あの、台湾のです
0: it is necessary to be solved uh, by the actual uh, actors uh, of the issues. As uh, so, Japan, as the uh, nation uh, part of this region, uh, will uh, obviously uh, will uh, make our own uh, effort uh, to address uh, the matters uh, uh, in that regard. However, the, that that is the uh, the. Uh,
2: answer uh, for my uh, for that question.
0: Uh, however, I just wanted to add uh, a comment that the, uh, any kind of probable uh, contingency in that uh, region uh, has directly uh impact on the defense of Japan.
2: Uh, therefore uh, in other words uh, uh, the peace
0: and stability of this region uh, is directly uh influence. Uh, Japan. As uh, Japan directly facing China, uh, it is necessary for us to uh, carry out our utmost effort to deter any kind of occurrence of the uh, contingencies uh, so that we will maintain to our uh, uh, deterrence uh, posture in the system.
1: Okay, thank you, uh, General uh, Yamakaze. Uh, I just want to come to uh, General Campbell. Um, what would happen if indeed China did attack Taiwan and if the US does intervene in Taiwan it could trigger a much wider war dragging Australia in.
3: Uh, thanks Yola, it's great to see you again and uh, could I thank the Rosina Dialogue invitation to be part of this panel and uh, hello to my uh, very good friends General Yamazaki uh, and uh, General Rowat and also to Tim Kow. Uh You ask a very challenging question. Look, I'm going to offer a more general response, Yolda. Uh, uh, conflict, from the perspective of democracy, is always our last resort, and diplomacy our first. We're living in a time where both diplomatic and military weight and effort, working in complement, is tremendously important. We need to see uh, opportunities and to drive possibilities to create new arrangements, new friends, new structures, uh, new experiences that build the idea of stronger together. Uh, Australia is very clear that the future of China and Taiwan needs to be a future that is resolved peacefully. Conflict over the island of Taiwan uh, would be a disastrous experience for the peoples of the region. And it's something that we should all work work, uh, to avoid. Uh, There is a pathway to a future through peaceful dialogue, but it's a hard path and it needs to be worked.
1: General Campbell, I suppose then, if I take the the question further and say, is joint planning for Taiwan contingency, if we talk about that, is it appropriate for trilateral efforts for Japan, the United States and Australia to have joint planning for Taiwan contingency?
3: Uh, uh, Each of our countries represented, and and all countries, militaries, undertake a whole variety of planning. They rarely ever talk about it. It's part of what we do. Uh, Military organisations are planning organisations. What we do do, uh, very actively, is seek to build the relationships that strengthen interoperability and cooperation and capacity and potential for example, between Australia and the United States, a a very long ally, Australia and Japan, uh, working uh, with Australia, Japan and, and the United States, working with India, a relationship that we are growing and is of great potential, and we really appreciate that relationship. But the point about building relationships, generating interoperability, the capacity to work together and to understand the interests and the world view of others is both to lessen the potential for conflict and, if necessary, be more effective in conflict. And where there are circumstances of potential conflict and potential adversaries, you create a much more complex conflict calculus in the minds of adversaries about what happens when we're not on our own, but when we are working together. And that's why I really like that idea from a military point of view that we are stronger together.
1: Australia's former Defence Minister Chris Pine this week said Australia will likely be dragged into a war with China in the next five to ten years. What's your reaction to that?
3: Uh, He is a very experienced uh, and long-term parliamentarian and uh, senior minister uh, before he retired and I listened to his uh, perspective uh, of course weighted with a whole range of other factors and for me the story in the Australian Defence Force is always one of being ready today and being prepared and building readiness for the future and so uh, rather than pick a conflict or create a potential future, the Defence Force of Australia and all defences need a variety of options and capacities to deal with what I think is going to be a very complex future. And that's exactly what we do. And so uh, I listened with interest to uh, former uh, Minister Pine's comments, and uh, put those as part of the jigsaw of a very complicated strategic environment.
1: General Rawat, let, let's bring you in and, and talk about the Himalayan uh, frontier. Why is China picking a fight with India and why
4: now? Uh, firstly, you know, my compliments to General Yamazaki, General Campbell, Tim Cahill and of course Yalda. I am indeed privileged to be part of the syndicate during the ongoing Raisina Dialogue. No, no, before I get on to what has been happening on our northern frontiers in Ladakh, I think let's understand uh, how the situation around the globe is changing. And I dare say that the geopolitics uh, coupled with the geoeconomics is indeed seeking to reshape the rules that govern the world order. You know, there are some nations which uh, follow international order, there are others with uh, depend on their own lawfare; they make their own rules and regulations. Uh, try and changing status quo, and therefore these kind of things do lead to conflict situations, and that is what we are witnessing on our northern borders. And therefore, we are witnessing changes in the geopolitics shaped by a nation-first approach. Today, nations feel that you know we need to authoritatively uh, pressurize other nations if they can, and that is what is leading to a change security situation. And the world is now becoming fragile on account of threats from hybridization of warfare. So, nations feel that, uh, you know, they have arrived with better technologies and therefore, threaten other nations, uh, which probably do not have that kind of technology and seek uh, the technological advantage into conflict. And therefore, they are trying to become more and more assertive now. And very soon, we may find that uh, adversaries may get uh, embroiled into conflict uh, with uh, one of the other nation even being unafair that uh, they are actually into conflict. Uh, and therefore I think you know unconventional means of conflict uh, employed by clever use of disruptive technologies could actually uh, paralyze the networks causing breakdown of systems, banking, power grids, transportation, communication, to name just a few. And therefore, nations which have developed these kind of disruptive technologies feel that you know, they will be able to impose their will on the other nations by saying that uh, if you don't come to my terms, I have other means of bringing you into conflict through unconventional means. So people are trying to become, nations are trying to become assertive. And this is what I think uh, China attempted to say that, uh, you know, it is, it is my way or no other way. But I think uh, such nature of undeclared war will place dilemma in the minds of decision-makers, whether or not to resort to kinetic force and uh, thus be labelled as an aggressor. So, you know, it is trying to draw you into a conflict without you starting the conflict, but resorting to disruptive technologies. It is very difficult for nations then to decide that, uh, do I now resort to conflict through use of kinetic means? Uh, There will always be putting a dilemma on the minds of adversaries. And therefore, while uh, militaries uh, around the world are seeking innovative systems to enhance their uh, combat capabilities, disruptive technologies, on the other hand, will compel nations to rethink their concept doctrines and techniques of warfighting. And that is what China is evolving to do. It is trying to get into a into a, you know, a limited conflict uh, through informationalization of their systems, thinking that you know we are superior in technology and the adversary may not be able to stand up against us and will therefore succumb to these kind of threats. But what I feel we need to do is to ensure that uh, it is quality and not quantity of war-fighting machinery that will necessitate changes in the structure of our organizations, uh, something which we are looking at, Technology will indeed play an important role in the manner in which nations perform in the future. Now, through the weaponization of the social media, the internet is changing war and politics just as war and politics are being changed by the internet.
1: I suppose, uh, General Rawat, um, arguably Chinese aggression is galvanizing the Quad to draw together. Um, so, while you say you know they, they may be trying to pick a fight to, sh- to show that they are the, the, the superior power, one would ask why are they doing it when it's actually bringing the Quad closer together?
4: Well, as I said, they feel that uh, they have arrived. They have a superior armed force because of the technological advantage that they have. They have been able to create disruptive technologies which can paralyze systems of the adversary and therefore they feel that just by doing a little bit of shove and push they will be able to compel nations to uh, give in to their demands but I think uh, India has stood firm on the northern borders and we have proven that uh, we will not get pushed and I think in whatever uh, we have been able to achieve in standing firm in preventing a change of status quo we have been able to gather world support. And I think the international community has come to our support to stay, to say that, uh, yes, there is an international based rule order which every nation must follow. And that is what we've been able to achieve and that is what we are trying to gather support from the other international nations. They have tried to ensure that they can change uh, the status quo by the use of disruptive technologies without using force. As of now, they have not used force. And they thought that India as a nation will succumb to the pressures that they are putting on us because of the technological advantage that they have. General Rawat, what are your views
1: on the treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang?
4: I, I, I didn't get the last part of your question.
1: Uh, the treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang province?
4: Well, uh, in our nation, we've always believed that uh, every community, irrespective of the religion that they follow, their caste, their creed, their colour of the skin, I think everybody has equal rights, and as far as humanity is concerned, the world must stand together in ensuring that uh, people uh, are, uh, are get their human rights as they deserve. So I think uh, it, it is a call that the international community needs to take.
1: Uh, I, I just want to ask uh, you about Afghanistan, uh, General Rawat. Americans are abandoning their Afghan allies. Uh, does this raise questions in the Indo-Pacific about American wherewithal more broadly? And, and also, how does the withdrawal from Afghanistan impact India, what does it mean for India?
4: Well, we have uh, concerns about Afghanistan, Afghans have been at war for rather long and we would like to see peace and tranquility returning to that region. If the US feels that by their withdrawal and uh, similar follow from the NATO allies who say that we will also like to possibly withdraw, that is what we are reading from the media, that in case uh, US withdraws from Afghanistan, NATO will follow suit. But if that is going to ultimately lead to peace and tranquility, we would be happy to see such a situation emerging. But our concern is that the vacuum that is going to be created with the withdrawal of the United States and NATO should not create space for other disruptors to step in and therefore the violence continues in Afghanistan. We would be very happy to provide whatever support we can in the development of the of afghanistan and making sure that ultimately peace returns to that nation i think the people basically have got tired and are looking forward to peace and if the americans can bring that peace in by their withdrawal which i believe the taliban says if the if the if the americans withdraw there will be less fighting there and if that can happen i think then it should be a happy situation but in the end we must see peace and tranquility returning to afghanistan okay. when you say
1: other disruptors uh, namely pakistan iran Well, there
4: are many nations that are willing to step into Afghanistan and uh, I wouldn't just like to name one nation. There are many people who are looking at the opportunity to walk into the vacuum that is being created. Afghanistan is a nation which is rich in resources and uh, there are nations we know who tend to exploit resources for their own benefit without the benefit going to the uh, community of that nation. So, if that is going to happen, I think that should be prevented and the international community must step in to ensure that. Uh, Afghanistan is for the Afghans.
1: Okay, let's uh, bring in Tim Cahill uh, from Lockheed Martin. Uh, Tim, there's a view that despite talk about great power competition, uh, the U.S. Defense Department is continuing to buy legacy weapons. And, and when I talk about legacy weapon systems, I'm talking about submarines, fighter jets, uh, tanks. And 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 while that made sense a decade or two ago, uh, it, it's not investing enough in the kind of disruptive technologies uh, that that General uh, Rawat just talked about as well for a fight with with China or Russia, what is your response to this?
5: Thank you, y'all, and first of all, uh, th- thanks to you, thanks to my esteemed colleagues and uh, and the Ministry of External Affairs for letting me join this uh, this great panel today. You know, I, I think that um, it's not an either or, and I believe that uh, the United States and, and many of the great nations that are represented here recognize that we have to move beyond just a, a platform view or an individual weapon view. Um, but those those tools are still critically important to our future what we do need to do I think everyone is recognizing rapidly is to be resilient in some of the fights future fights that we may have and to in fact network our systems together and and this this um, this takes on multiple names depending on where you are whether it's multi-domain operations whether it's net-centric warfare at Lockheed Martin we call it 21st century warfare but it means uh, turning every one of those individual weapons that you talk about and you say their legacy and that has a little bit of a connotation with it you know things like the f-35 are incredible network weapons with with the ability to tie into other systems we can backfit that kind of capability on other systems as well and build resilient networks that in fact can adjust to what our adversaries are doing because they're getting much smarter Uh, and and much more capable, they're watching what we're doing, they're watching our exercises and responding. What's important, you you mentioned a plan earlier, what's important as we go into these situations is not necessarily that we just have a general plan of what we're going to do, but that we can rapidly respond when in fact, as we know, every plan uh, changes when you make first contact. And so, if you have a resilient system uh, of very capable uh, platforms all tied together uh, in, in modern ways and exchanging data and responding real time, then you have a different sort of capability than you had before. And to us, that's what's what's very important looking forward uh, for the future.
1: Uh, you just mentioned the F-35. Uh, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee says the F-35 is a case study in everything that is wrong with what the Pentagon buys. What's your response to that?
5: Well, I think, um, you know, there's there's been a lot discussed about the F-35. I will say that um, from our view and from, I think, the view of the United States Air Force and, and the Pentagon itself, the F-35 is the most capable fifth-generation system on the planet right now. Uh, it is now. It now is at a price point that is, in fact, less than uh, legacy fourth-generation fighters, so it's cheaper. It's, it's significantly better. The, um, the maintenance costs are coming way down, and, in fact, Uh, nations around the world and and many of the nations here represented uh, in today's panel have made the decision to buy F-35s and have and have um, and continue to look hard at as their future uh, their future militaries they are buying more F-35s and and reconfirming the capability of that system so we continue to compete worldwide Uh, we do it on the on the facts and the merits and the capability and the cost and the industrial partnerships uh, that we provide with the system and the system continues to win and continues to uh to gain the confidence and, and the loyalty and and uh, and frankly the um the word that we continue to get back from when we talk to pilots and we talk to militaries around the world is that they couldn't be more glowing in uh, in in the capability that the uh, that the platform brings so um you know, there's always a, a lot of opinions out there and we respect those opinions and we work hard with the congressman and others. Uh, but respectfully, it's an incredible platform and, uh, and is the right platform for, uh, for the allies of the nation of the United States and, and those represented here uh, for the future.
1: General Rawat, you're not F-35s.
4: Well, we, our air force is uh, still exploring the options of the, uh, you know, the aircraft that they need to buy for their, their force. F-35 is a very modern aircraft and, uh, you know, state of the art. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, the US would be willing to share this kind of technology with the other nations because what they've offered to us is the lower version of the uh, F-series. So, you know, we would like to see what is on offer and uh, we we will be uh, very soon floating a global RFI for the kind of aircraft that we wish. Yes, it is a very good modern aircraft. And that will put uh, the United States Air Force on a different plane altogether uh, when they get this aircraft. at the state of art. I think it's, uh, it's a great aircraft. Yes, that's what I would like to say.
1: Uh, Tim, um, space has become a domain for competition and, and China is investing massively in it. What, in your view, will that look like in the future and what does that mean?
5: Well, I think they have invested massively in it. I think what they recognize is that... Uh, the allied democracies of the world have a great advantage or had a great advantage in space um, and great capability, and it it is the enabler. It ties us all together and and ties our economies together, frankly, even beyond just military capability. Um, What it means is that we have to be prepared. Um, They are going to be disruptive. They are going to bring uh, uh, offensive uh, capability, I think, to space in the end, and we've got to be prepared just like we are in air and sea and land is to be resilient, to again be able to adapt. If they come after space assets, be able to adapt in different ways. with Again, with resilient networks and capability that ensure that we can respond appropriately. So, um, it's a um, we have the lead. I think we have um, great capability in that particular regime. It's very, very critical to us, and um, I think we need to continue to, to, uh, to protect those assets and, be, and, and make them as resilient as we can for future conflict.
1: I've got about 10 minutes to go, so I just wanted to open up the floor to some questions from, from the audience. And we've got one here for General Yamazaki. Um, General, one area, and someone from the audience says this, one area that will not change even as specific threats evolve is grey zone conflict below the threshold of war. India is all too too familiar, but... This is becoming an increasingly favored Chinese tactic across the Indo Pacific. There are challenging these are challenging for states and conventional militaries to address. So what options are open or what changes can be made to better adapt to the increasing um uh, increasing nature of conflict?
0: Well, uh, my understanding about the question is, uh, recently, uh, from the ordinary time, uh, we've seen all those grey zone, uh, kind of like a, a situation. Uh, so, uh, the question is, how we are actually going to cope with such kind of grey zone and ordinary time? That's right, yeah. So I'm going to ask that question.
2: <laughs> あの、えー、
0: uh, from the uh, peacetime, uh, there has been uh, a lot of uh, phases of the uh, competitions. Uh, not only the uh, conventional domains such as uh, ground, maritime, and air, but also uh, new domains such as cyber, uh, outer space, as well as the uh, electromagnetic spectrum. So these uh, domains. These domains are also now a very important kind of uh, uh, fight, uh, battle, uh, sort of like a, 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 the field of uh, fighting, as well as the, uh, the domains that we must actually uh, uh, undertake our
2: deterrence as well. So, uh, namely, uh, there is the uh,
0: lawfare uh, that has been undertaken by the uh, China, uh, such as they newly enacted the uh, China's Coast Guard Law, uh, which uh, they're attempting to unilaterally uh, establishing their own law. Uh, Uh, legislation, or the law, uh, to change the existing international order.
2: Uh, Therefore,
0: in order to realize the free and open Indo-Pacific, as well as to preserve the peace and stability of this region, uh, it is necessary to maintain the uh, rule-based international order.
2: あの、で、
0: so, therefore, uh, the great zone at this time, it is necessary uh, for us to, uh, uh, to protect and defend the uh, law and order uh, uh, in cooperation with the uh, like-minded countries, uh, namely uh, such as the lawfare as well as the uh, uh, invisible uh, type of like a uh, uh, warfare, which is cyber domain uh, type of. Uh, 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 a confrontation uh, needs to be uh, dealt
2: uh, by the uh, all those uh, uh, like minded country uh, to protect the law and order. Uh,
0: therefore uh, here in this panel uh, now we have uh, General Vivian Lauer from in India and, and my uh, friend um, Angus, uh, General Angus Campbell from Australia as well as the uh, uh, Vice uh, President of the Lockheed Martin uh, the Cahill, uh, Mr. Cahill from United States so this kind of like uh, uh, cross uh, cooperation and cooperation among uh, those uh, four nations, uh, Japan, United States, Australia and India uh, is critically uh, vital and important
1: now. Thank you. Thank you so much, General. I, I just want to pick up on this same question to General Campbell, um, if you can give us your thoughts on on China really using grey uh, grey zone um, uh, conflict uh, as as sort of a tactic and, and the increasing uh, hybridization of conflict.
4: Uh,
3: thanks, Yolda. This isn't a new tactic. Uh, nations have sought to nibble away at arrangements that they are uncomfortable with for thousands of years. What we see in the modern era, though, with the opportunities of a globalized internet environment, uh, we can see scale and ubiquity and instantaneous action through the cyber domain. And If there is a will uh, you can see in places like the South China Sea the the effort at effectively changing the norms or rules on the ground. Now I would say that these are always challenging uh, tactics because they place the dilemma in those at which they're directed. How do you respond? How do you uh, maintain and pursue your interests, legitimate interests in a global community, uh, while not seeking to breach that barrier into open conflict. I think two things are really important here. One is about the idea of making sure that the shields around your own democratic institutions and the fundamental uh, elements of your sovereignty are protected. And the other is uh, that you are very clear on what are your national interests and what are those common or overlapping interests with other nations, so that you are clear why you're pursuing a particular course of action. And then there will be occasions when sunlight remains an extraordinarily powerful disinfectant. And so sometimes, Uh, illuminating the issue and in doing so potentially galvanizing a much wider community of common interest can be very powerful and I think and I don't speak just of one country I think we are seeing this happen more frequently now as the trend towards the misuse of that gray space between norms and rules and the outbreak of conflict is very commonly being uh, exploited.
1: Great. Thank you. Thank you, General Campbell. Uh, Can I go to Tim? Um, There's a question here for you which says, uh, as we tackle emerging threats, whether space or cyber or others, can legacy defence contractors keep up with the upstart disruptors and bring their more vast resources to bear on new niche problems? Well,
5: we think the answer is yes, we think we are. and, and by by multiple ways first of all we, we're building partnerships with commercial companies uh, that's very much key to what we're doing right now trying to bring commercial technology uh, the disruptors I think keep us uh, keep us on our toes if, if we are already we're not already on toes and I think the competition is good uh, but we are we're working hard to actually bring them into the fold have them help us 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 help them with uh, with uh, look, looking at well how to, how to get involved with uh, national defense systems, and then and then bringing us additional technology. Uh, but there's great innovation and and technology, I think, in the big companies already as well that we're bringing to bear every single day uh, across the world.
1: Thank you, thank you, Tim. Um, General, Robert, there's, there's a question here for you, which says, uh, India, uh, in the middle of reorganization of its defense forces, with you driving and implementing these changes. Uh, what specific focus is being given to these new and emerging domains of conflict? Uh, the new and emerging domains of conflict, uh, as you uh, reorganise your defence forces,
4: we are now going in for a major reorganisation within the military, and the basic issue is to integrate our uh, army, navy, air force together into a joint, uh, you know, force capable of dealing with the threats on our borders because we have very complex borders on the on the land borders, we have the sea, uh, which we have to look at in the Indian Ocean region and now the Indo-Pacific. So we need to organize ourselves in a manner that uh, we can ensure that we work as an integrated joint force capable of taking care of our threats that are emerging uh, on our land borders and along the sea. We are looking also at ensuring that uh, we are able to imbibe technologies, trying to make sure that the cyberspace technologies are uh, work together in a joint manner. And our ultimate aim is to ensure that the sum of the products of our defense forces add up to more than the sum of the whole, so that uh, the capabilities develop and we are better competent and better capable to deal with the threats that we will be witnessing in the future.
1: Uh, we've actually come close to the close of time. I'm actually going a little bit over because I do want to give you all a chance to uh, give some closing remarks um, and just to wrap up uh, your thoughts here here today and and how you see the future of your alliances uh, and the future of of the region. Uh, General Rawat, if I can begin with you.
4: Well, I think uh, we are very satisfied in the way the, the way the international community is coming together to coordinate their effort to ensure that uh, authoritarian regimes uh, do not have their way around and that everybody follows a rule-based international order. All that I would like to say is the manner in which you can see uh, four of us talking here, you know, from Japan, from Australia, from United States, and me from India. This is the kind of collaborative effort that is taking place to ensure that uh, we work together in a collaborative manner, we cooperate with each other and we are able to deal with emerging threats in a collective manner. I think that is the way forward.
1: General Campbell?
3: I think we are moving into, in fact, we are in a very challenging strategic setting uh, where great power competition will be a key factor. Not the only one, but a very critical factor. What I like about what I also see is the way nations are working more closely together together are finding that common interest, and are willing to explore new and innovative ways and solutions to deal with the challenges of our world. So, ever the optimist, but we have hard work to do.
1: General
2: Yamazaki
0: well, uh, just one comment. Uh, What we
2: are aiming is to realize the free and open in the Pacific. It is
0: a vision to realize that the free and open in the Pacific to... uh, to realize the vision of free and open in the Pacific, the basic uh, concept of the vision is to secure the peace and stability uh, the prosperity of the entire region by maintaining and strengthening the rule-based international order and making the region as the free and open global
2: commons.
0: In order to realize the vision of the free and the open in the Pacific, we will, as Japan, we will closely collaborate and cooperate with the United States, Australia and India in various ways and also various initiatives.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And Tim?
5: Yeah, well, well, as my colleagues have eloquently stated, you know, our threats are getting more complex uh, all the time. Um, our adversaries are, are adapting. Um, they're getting smarter. They're getting more disruptive. It's so important that I think we look to strategies and capabilities um, to, to be more resilient, to be more evolved, more integrated, more interoperable. Um, you know, for over 100 years, Lockheed Martin has stood side by side with, with all of the customers, including uh, my esteemed panelists here in their nations, to provide peace and stability we we'll look forward to continuing that
1: journey with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank you all for for joining us here uh, on this virtual racing day, and I look forward to seeing you in person uh, next year. And uh, and I thank our audience for their questions and for joining our panel today. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.